I will go ahead and apologize for being the third sick guy that you have to listen to this morning. Uh, But I will tell you, it could be worse for you. Uh, I was originally scheduled to prepare your communion. Uh, And thankfully, you'll be happy to know that I did not do that. Uh, Someone in the church who is not sick prepared communion this morning. So hopefully none of you will be sick uh, when you leave or later today. Now, this is one of those rare Sundays when I get to preach on just about anything I want to preach on. Christmas has come and gone, so we leave our previous sermon series behind. But with this being a holiday weekend, and with Zach preaching next Sunday, I didn't want to start a new sermon series quite yet. So that means that I had a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility to think and pray about what to preach on this week. I could have preached on something related to New Year's. I could have preached on something related to the end of a decade. Those are both low-hanging fruit. However, I didn't choose either one of those options. Because as I thought about what would be appropriate to preach on this Sunday, I found myself thinking back to something that we talked about at our congregational meeting on December 8th, just a few weeks ago. At that meeting, I mentioned that in my almost seven years of service here at Prairie View, I'm not sure I can think of a time when there was as much hardship on families and people within our church as there has been the past few months. Now, that's not to discount all the hardships that have happened outside of the past several months. I know many families and many people have suffered in the seven years that I've been here way before the past few months. I'm not minimizing any of those. However, as of late, the hardships have seemed a little bit more severe and they've seemed a little bit more widespread. I mean, just over the past few months, I can think of people in our church who have gotten frightening diagnoses. I can think of people who have lost jobs. I can think of people who have battled chronic illness. I can think of people who have had an incredibly difficult time caring for aging family members. I can think of people who have buried loved ones. I can think of people who have faced family division or marital strife. I can think of people who have faced financial challenges. I can think of people who have wrestled with issues of mental and emotional health. And these are just the things that I know of, for sure, within this relatively small church. And these kinds of hardships are not just minor hiccups. They're not small bumps in the road of life that you just have to learn to deal with from time to time. These are deeply challenging forms of suffering. The kind that can rock your world, bring you to tears, trouble your mind, break your heart, wear out your body, and keep you awake at night. These are the kinds of sufferings that can truly test your faith. So as I thought about what to preach on this week, I decided to avoid the cutesy sermon about New Year's resolutions or the pithy sermon about the end of one decade and the beginning of another. I thought the best way to serve this church on this Sunday was to talk about faithful endurance. How can we as Christians understand times of hardship? And how can we persevere through difficult seasons of disappointment, anxiety, stress, worry, and even fear? And if that's not you right now, if you feel like everything is going swimmingly, and there's no end in sight to your happiness and your success, Be aware that you still need to hear this, because one day you'll face hardships as well. It's not a matter of if, but when. 
So what guidance does Scripture give us when we face trials and tribulations? What hope does the gospel give us? And what concrete actions can help us make it safely to the other side when seasons like these come along? So open up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Feel free to use our Bibles if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home if you don't own one. With that, I'll open us up in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time we have together. Again, even though so many of us are not feeling well, even though many of us aren't here because we're not feeling well, thank you for this regular opportunity to gather and worship you. And again, worshiping you on Sunday morning is a source of stability for us uh, in this ever-changing world. Uh, The way our health can change, the way colds can come and go and coughs can come and go, the way things can so unpredictably go off the rails one week to the next. Thank you that every Sunday morning there are people here worshiping you. And thank you for that stabilizing force in our lives. That on Sunday mornings we know what we're going to do, and that's worship you one way or another. But Father, we do pray for those who are ill, uh, those who are here, those who aren't here. We pray for those who are traveling uh, with this holiday weekend between two holidays. I pray that you would bring people home safely, give them good times with family and friends. Uh, But Father, I pray that this morning would be honoring to you, uh, that as we worship you, whether there is 50 of us or 100 of us or more of us, Uh, that we would honor you with what we say and do, that our singing and our prayers and this sermon uh, would be beneficial for us and would be pleasing to you. Again, Lord, we love you. We thank you for Christ, who we'll talk about in much more detail here in just a few moments. Thank you that he brings us together, that he calls us together on Sunday morning, and that he's the one who has reconciled us to you. Again, Lord, we love you. We worship you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the book of Hebrews is an incredibly dense, rich, and rewarding book to read. The first nine to ten chapters of Hebrews are primarily about the supremacy, the sufficiency, and the glory of Jesus. He's greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than Melchizedek. What Jesus has done for sinners is far greater than anything the old covenant, the old priests, the old temple, and the old animal sacrifices ever accomplished. They all had a role in their time and place. But ultimately, Jesus has done what they could not do. That's why Hebrews refers to Jesus as our great high priest. He's the one who saved us from our sins by offering up himself as our sufficient sacrifice on the cross. And in light of these truths, the author of Hebrews sprinkles in warnings against sin, disobedience, and unfaithfulness. He challenges his audience to mature in their godliness and in their discipleship. But then by the time you get to chapter 10, another theme starts to emerge. And it's one that all the attention on Jesus builds up to. In Hebrews 10.36, the author says his congregation has need of endurance. Right now, I think the same is true of our congregation. We have need of endurance. But I also chose to preach from the book of Hebrews this morning because it reads like a pastor preaching to his church. 
In Hebrews 13, verse 22, the pastor refers to this book as a word of exhortation, a.k.a. a sermon. So I figured that if I'm going to preach a sermon on faithful endurance, I should lean on the sermon that was good enough to be included in God's inspired word. Now, in his case, the preacher in Hebrews is talking to Christians who have been facing opposition for their faith. At times, that opposition took the form of social, economic, and even physical persecution. And even though we likely aren't facing those same hardships, I think this pastor's teaching on faithful endurance can be helpful for us in the midst of what we are facing. So we start reading in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the pastor reminds these Christians of their good history of faithful endurance through previous times of suffering. He reminds them of how they've made it through times of suffering in the past with their faith intact. They even did it joyfully. Presumably part of the reason they were able to endure such sufferings so well is because they came together as brothers and sisters In Christ, he talks about how they were partners together in suffering, how they had compassion on each other. So the pastor uses their past history to encourage and challenge them to persevere through the sufferings they face now. He reminds them of the reward waiting for them in the end. He warns them not to let their current circumstances make them shrink back in fear and unbelief. And so from these verses alone, I think we get three lessons about faithful endurance through trials. Lesson number one is that one of the best things we can do when we suffer hardship is to remember God's faithfulness to us in the past. Think back to times before when you've suffered and remind yourself of those previous experiences of God's faithfulness to you through those seasons. Recall the former days when God's grace enabled you to persevere through seasons of loss and seasons of pain. Because those memories can be a source of confidence for you. It can encourage you and remind you that if God was able to sustain you then, he can sustain you now. If you can persevere in the past, you can persevere now. If you endured those things before, You can endure what you're dealing with at this moment. 
So lesson number one is one of the best things we can do as we suffer hardship is to remember God's faithfulness to us in the past. And then lesson number two is really simple. It's the lesson of sticking together during times of hardship. Again, the pastor says his congregation partnered with suffering Christians. They had compassion on those who were in prison. The point is that we do not suffer alone in the body of Christ. We are never meant to suffer alone in the body of Christ. So talk to your fellow believers, your brothers and sisters. Ask them to pray for you. Swallow your pride. Ask for help and lean on each other rather than trying to go it alone. Stick together. As Paul says in Romans 12, 15, we in the family of God are called to weep with those who weep. As he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, when one of us suffers in the body of Christ, we all suffer together. In difficult seasons, we are called to stick together if we hope to faithfully endure. And then lesson number three from these verses is to keep looking ahead to your future reward. The reason those Christians were able to faithfully endure in the past was because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. They could lose their stuff without losing their joy, without losing their faith, because they knew that no persecution could rob them of their true reward. And in the same way, your current sufferings cannot rob you of your true reward. In Hebrews 12:28, the pastor reminds this congregation that one day they will inherit a kingdom which cannot be shaken. No matter how shaken you might feel right now, the kingdom you look forward to will never be shaken. In Romans 8:18, Paul says that our current sufferings, whatever they might be, cannot even compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us in Christ. So as we suffer, we keep looking ahead to our future reward. We faithfully endure, knowing that the glory we will experience then will be worth the weight and will be worth the pain that we may experience now. No suffering you have at this moment can even compare to the glory that is waiting for you. And so looking ahead to that reward can help you endure whatever it is that you're facing now. But then as you move from Hebrews 10 to Hebrews 11, the pastor devotes an entire chapter to examples of faithful endurance from the past. This chapter is the well-known hall of faith, as some people like to call it. He tells the stories of Abel and Abraham and Moses and numerous other Old Testament figures who faithfully endured times of pain, loss, disappointment, and persecution. And he refers to this group as a great cloud of witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses. People from the past who set an example for us in the present. In verses 39 and 40, the pastor says these people didn't even receive what was promised, and yet they faithfully endured. What does he mean there? Well, because these people all lived before Jesus' birth, they didn't get to see, know, and understand the glory of Christ the way you and I have. 
So if they can faithfully endure, not knowing the joy that you and I know, how much more so can we faithfully endure? So from chapter 10, we got those three lessons about faithful endurance. Number one, remember past experiences of God's faithfulness. Number two, stick together during times of suffering. Number three, look ahead to your future reward. But here in chapter 11, we get a fourth lesson. And the fourth lesson is this. One of the best things we can do if we hope to faithfully endure trials is to look to examples of other brothers and sisters in Christ who have faithfully endured sufferings of their own. Because looking at fellow believers who have faithfully endured through their sufferings can encourage us. It can inspire us. It can hold us accountable to endure our own sufferings as well. We can look to Christians who came before us, like the author does in Hebrews 11. We can look to fellow believers in our own time, brothers and sisters we know who have suffered and endured. Either way, we have a great cloud of witnesses of those who have faithfully endured. And their examples can serve as encouragement, inspiration, and accountability so that we might faithfully endure ourselves. But then we move to chapter 12. We start reading in verse 3. We'll come back to verses 1 and 2 here in just a few minutes. So chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that's referring to Christ, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that brings us to a fifth lesson about faithful endurance. When Christians experience times of suffering, we can look at our sufferings differently than we did before we believed. The pastor says that hardship or trial can be a form of God's discipline. Like any loving, though earthly and imperfect, parent, at times God, the perfect father, might allow his children to face suffering, pain, and loss in order to teach us valuable lessons about who he is and who we are. I mean, surely we can all think of experiences in life that were hard at the time, 
but ultimately benefited us in the long run. We can think of valuable lessons we learned from trials that we probably wouldn't have learned if everything had been going great. Similarly, God might directly send or indirectly allow his children to suffer for our good that we may share in his holiness, in the words of verse 10. So it's amazing to think that in God's sovereignty, even our worst sufferings can be redeemed by God, can be used by God to bring about something good in our lives. God, in all of his wisdom, can take a horrific event. Say, for example, oh, I don't know, a crucifixion maybe. And God can make something good come out of it for his sons and his daughters. As Rick preached on a few weeks ago, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How can we count it joy when we face trials? How can we count it joy when we face sufferings? We can count it joy because we know that God is our perfect father. And that even some of the hardest moments of our lives can be used by God and redeemed by God for our good. To produce maturity. To produce steadfastness. That we may share in his holiness. So the pastor has given us five pieces of practical, concrete guidance to help us faithfully endure sufferings. Lesson number one, remember past experiences of God's faithfulness. Lesson number two, stick together through times of hardship. Lesson number three, keep looking ahead to your future reward. Lesson number four, find examples of faithful endurance from fellow believers to look to. And then number five, trust that God can make something good come from our sufferings. Now those can all be incredibly helpful. But there's one more point that we should consider. And really, it's what everything in Hebrews chapters 10 through 12 revolves around. Better yet, it's the person whom our faith revolves around. So now we go back to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, referring to chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight And sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So to faithfully endure times of hardship, we must, we absolutely must Fix our eyes on Christ. He is the perfect example of faithful endurance. He faithfully endured the immense physical, mental, and emotional suffering of the cross. But on top of that, he faithfully endured the spiritual weight of our sin on his shoulders. And because of his faithful endurance, he was rewarded with a seat at the Father's right hand. And because of his faithful endurance, we have been reconciled to God. 
But Jesus isn't just an example of faithful endurance. He is the means by which we can and we will faithfully endure ourselves. Our salvation starts with him. As the author put it, he's the founder of our faith. And our salvation is completed by him. He is the perfecter of our faith. It's through Christ that God's people faithfully endure sufferings. So all the other lessons are helpful, but this one is the most important. If we hope to faithfully endure seasons of suffering, if we hope to finish this long, arduous race of life in a fallen world, then we must keep our eyes fixed on Christ. As we close, reading Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak weak knees, your weak nose. If that's weak too, you should strengthen that as well. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Again, part of the reason I wanted to preach on faithful endurance this week is because I know many of us in this church are tired. It might not be due to persecution the way it was for the believers in the book of Hebrews. We might not have visible opponents the way they did. But nevertheless, I know believers in our church who are suffering. Believers in this room who feel as though for some reason the world and the devil and everything else are fully stacked against them right now, and we just don't understand why. We can start to feel our normally strong hands drooping. We too can feel our normally reliable knees starting to buckle. We too are tired of running the current leg of our race, wondering when it's going to be over. And we're tempted to give up. One of our Christmas traditions in the Halliburton household is that we watch It's a Wonderful Life. And every year I cry and say that I'm going to do a better job of appreciating my wife and my children. And then the next day comes around and I get annoyed with them again. But in that movie, at the beginning of the movie, Clarence, the angel who comes to help George Bailey, when he's first commissioned by his boss, the head angel, to go help him... Clarence asks, what's the matter with George? Is he sick? And Clarence's boss says, no, worse, he's discouraged. Worse, he's discouraged. I know many of us in this church are discouraged. Many of us are tired. And so if that's you, you have need of endurance. Just like the congregation in Hebrews did. So remember God's faithfulness to you in the past. Don't forget that if he sustained you then, he can sustain you now. Stick together. Don't try to go it alone. Look ahead to your future reward. 
which your current sufferings can't even begin to compare to. Find examples of faithful endurance from fellow believers for encouragement, inspiration, and accountability. Trust that God can make something good come out of your sufferings, even if it hurts now. But most of all, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Don't let your sufferings, don't let sin, don't let temptation draw your eyes away from him as you run this race. Look to him, trust him, rely on him, because it's the only way you'll make it to the finish line. And he will not let you down. He was not only the perfect example of faithful endurance when he went to the cross on our behalf. He is the very means by which we can and will endure to the end ourselves. So keep your eyes fixed on him, no matter how droopy your hands might be, no matter how weak your knees might feel, no matter how worn out or discouraged you might be. Keep your eyes fixed on him, and you will faithfully endure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. And again, thank you for this church. As I said earlier, in my almost seven years here, it feels like right now there are more people who are hurting, more people who are suffering, more people who are feeling weak, feeling discouraged, feeling worn out. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to faithfully endure. Give us strength. Give us patience. Give us trust. Give us faith. The things that we need to faithfully endure. Help us lean on each other. Help us help each other. Pray for each other. But, Father, most of all, help us keep our eyes fixed on your Son, Jesus Christ. We know that we can endure. We know that we will endure. But, Father, I pray that you would help us endure through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he endured on our behalf. Thank you for his broken body and shed blood. And, Father, thank you that even though times are hard right now, even though this world has fallen, even though sufferings and pains and trials seem to lurk around every single corner, we know that in the end, you win, and we know that in the end, the reward that we have to look forward to is not even worth comparing to the sufferings that we might experience now. And so, Father, help us endure, and help us do it by looking to your Son, and help us endure for your glory. We love you, we worship you, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.